Welcome to another episode of Civic Cipher. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. They call me Q Ward, but it's okay. So the reason why is because so Quinton has an O, not an I or an E, and people want to say Quentin or Quentin, and it's Quinton. And then Ward is that's my, my dad's last name. And when I was born, when they do your birth certificate and your dad, <laughs> they give you, you know what I'm saying? How did they give you his? Or yeah. Y'all, yeah. Okay. Never mind. I'll, we'll talk <laughs> about you. it later. We'll talk. We'll talk I about it later, you, man. You gonna make sure people know your name. I love that. Uh, and uh, we are back up in you one more again um, to broadcast the balance and to defend the discourse and to talk about things related to America, specifically Black America, but America, um, and hopefully have the sorts of conversations that we all need to have with each other as brothers and sisters. Um, today we have a lot in store for you, uh, so stick around because we are going to be talking about Larry Elder, Candace Owens, and how all skin folks ain't kin folks, you know. And and you know, there's been this black face of white supremacy idea that exists. And sometimes these people kind of fall into those categories. We're not here to say whether it's right or wrong, but we do need to talk about it. Um, later in the show, we're going to uh, also talk about the killing of Kawasaki Trawick in New York. Uh, it's a very sad and tragic story, but certainly necessary for us to talk about. Uh, we're also going to be uh, dedicating some time to the hashtag land back for our native brothers and sisters. And of course, checking in with DJ Swirl for that way black history fact. But first... We are going to discuss some ebony excellence. So, this week, our ebony excellence segment highlights Blue Ivy Carter. For those that don't know, she is the daughter of Jay-Z and Beyonce. Now, naturally, um, she has a lot more access to remarkable things um she has the capacity to accomplish great things in a very short amount of time at a very young age um that goes without saying but because we do like to celebrate that um we figured that we would discuss her most recent accomplishment and why it was important so um blue ivy is now the youngest winner ever of a video music award. Um, Beyonce's Brown Skin Girl uh, took home the video music award for best cinematography, and Blue Ivy was credited on the song. Uh, she also received her own VMA for the feature. Um, and she's on the song with her mom, St. John Wizkid, and her vocals are heard during the song's opening and at the end. Um, and her mother, and perhaps her father, putting her in position to do that I think is remarkable. You know, we do need to be mindful of the next generation. We do need to set them up, establish them for their careers. Um, there's been a lots of people who've been fans of nepotism long before we ever made it to this planet and they've built the world and their image. And um, I really love the fact that, you know, these people are really positioning their child to take advantage of all that they've accomplished. I try to do that in my own personal life. I know Q does the same with his children. And the fact that she has a VMA award at such a young age, the youngest ever, I think is ebony excellence, if I've ever heard of it. And so 
that is certainly a worthy uh, uh, accomplishment. With that said. Amen, Reverend. Thank you. (laughs) With that said, we're going to get into something that I know that is right up your alley cue, something that you and I have talked about quite a bit, and I know you have a lot to say about it. Um, all skin folks ain't kin folks. And this is a statement, a saying that exists in the black community. We'll say it to each other quite a bit when we are describing someone who looks like us but does not subscribe to the same morals, ideas, and so forth that, generally speaking, most black people subscribe to. Um, so that's, now you're able to make the connection, all skin folks ain't kin folks. Um, and we've seen this over the years. Um, you know, there's a token black guy that as long as he's in the room, um, you know, white folks can say and do whatever they want and not themselves, not consider themselves racist because, hey, look, see, there's that guy over there. He's black. So I can't be racist because he's close enough in proximity to me. So the things that I say are justified. Otherwise, he would take issue with it, wouldn't be my friend, whatever the case is. Um, so we have to talk about this person because this is a black person we're talking about. This person is, as I stated in the beginning of the show, oftentimes the black face of white supremacy. Now, I'm not talking about black people with conservative values um, because those people exist. I've met lots of them. Some of them go to church. Some of them, you know, they have military backgrounds or however they grew up. I'm not talking about those people. Some of them are simply capitalist. Or that. They just want to protect their net worth, you know, Um And there's a different conversation to be had there, but that's not the one we're having right now. What I'm talking about is black people that echo the most flagrant, the most harmful sentiments of white supremacy. Those people are often elevated to a status so that their message can be received in mass by lots of people. And what it does is, is by default, it gives some degree of credibility, quote unquote, to what they're saying, even if it's nonsense. Um, a great example of this is, uh, I'll remember a few years ago, Donald Trump came to Phoenix, Arizona, and there was a man in the audience, black man in the audience, and he had a sign, it was just a cheaply made sign, and it said, Trump and Republicans aren't racist. He had brown skin, just like me, and he had a sign. He had some wild looking hair. Now black folks, we could look at this guy and be like, yo, there's something not all the way right about my man. But, um, you know, white folks are, certainly the white folks at the Trump rally are like, ah, see, look, Hey, we, f- we can feel better about being here because there's that one black guy and he's got that sign. He says we're not racist, so we're not racist. Everybody good with that? Okay, onward. And um, just by him being there, not what he stands for, not why he's saying that, there's that, none of that really matters. Just by him being there with the sign, they took him out of the crowd 
and put him right behind Donald Trump so that he could be on all the cameras, um, all the all the footage, all the photos, everything like that. And this guy became a minor celebrity for two to three weeks after that campaign. Um, and that, I think, illustrates how these people are used and how they're often elevated because, hey, there's one black person who agrees with all of the racist, baseless things that I'm saying with respect to black versus white in this country. Um, and because this one black person agrees with me, then that's where the conversation ends. And I no longer have to be critical or have to have a critical examination of my policies, of my thoughts, of my ideas, and so forth. Because as long as I'm not racist, it's just my quote unquote opinion. And um, normally, I'm content to leave people to their opinions, you know, leave you to your own devices. If you have a different opinion from me, that's fine. But when your opinion is rooted in my uh, disenfranchisement, then I have to take issue with it. And if you can hide behind that black face of white supremacy, then that's one extra step that I have to go through to really get you to really re-examine your stance. And so today we're talking about that line, that black face of white supremacy um, and how it's very harmful on both sides. You know, um, it it really doesn't reflect the reality of of black America. It certainly does not reflect the the general consensus of black America and for these black voices to look at black people in mass almost 100% of the time and say all black people got it wrong black people need to stop being victim black people this and that and the other I think that it's insulting to the greatest thinking that exists you can't you can't for a second think that this one lone wolf <laughs> represents the height of black intelligence when 99% of the rest of us are able to communicate, uh, understand what our needs are, what our shortcomings are as a community, where the country has failed us and where we need to, you know, fix, you know, some, some gaps in society and, and make things more equitable. You can't ignore that and listen to this one person because what they say echoes what you want to hear and makes you feel better about what ultimately are often racist ideas and policies. You know, things that a lot of times white folks don't want to confront. Now, of course, not all white people. You know, there's lots of white folks who are have have more liberal beliefs and they never heard of the names we're about to mention. But um, typically it's the older white male, you know, well compensated and kind of lives a sheltered life with respect to, you know, crossing color lines and interacting with people who don't look like him. um, That's able to hide behind these extremely conservative, extremely far white ring black voices and black faces so that they don't have to confront the ugly head of racism that often stares them in the mirror whenever they, you know, look in a mirror and really have to come to terms with who they are as a person. Now, with that said, <clears throat> um, for those that don't know, there's a recall election in California. Um, the... Uh, current governor is Gavin Newsom. Um, The recall is a power grab to try to install one of these black conservatives in office. Um, 
And really, he only needs 20 percent of the vote to make that happen. It doesn't look likely that it's going to that's going to be the outcome. But uh, this Larry Elder, this black Republican, you know, um, candidate is has taken everything out of the Donald Trump playbook. He's behind in the polls, so he's already talking about fraud claims. Um, You know, by the time, you know, everything comes out, you know, everything will be. Uh, we'll we'll know what we're looking at, but um, what I see here is that even before the votes were counted, even before everything was finalized, um, he was saying that you know there's uh, it, it looks like there's fraud. He had a link on his um, Twitter page that says if you see fraud. Uh, we've had the, the we've had things investigated. It looks like fraud. If you see any fraud, please report it even before the votes were counted. Um, now, uh, to give you a little bit of background on this guy, Larry Elder, um, I'm going to read some notes I have here. It says many black voters here have heard him deny the existence of systemic anti-black racism. Um, have read his comments on former President Trump. And the origin of the birther lie that former President Obama was born in Kenya. Um, They remember that Elder published a book in 2008 titled Stupid Black Men. Uh, More recently, black voters have heard that his thoughts on reparations um, should go to the descendants of slave owners who lost their, quote, property when enslaved black people were emancipated. Um, and one thing that I came up upon more recently is an interview from some years ago where he was on the air defending George Zimmerman in the killing of Trayvon Martin by saying, this is the sort of behavior that we want. You know, he, this guy, Larry Elder was saying, um, you know, there had been crime in this neighborhood and this guy was being vigilant and he was attacked by Trayvon and just kind of rewrote the story, you know, um, and, you know, that that neighborhood just because I have to say it, that neighborhood was a, a bit more affluent. If there was crime in the neighborhood, you got to look at where the crime potentially came from. Might have been white folks who live in that neighborhood. Who knows? Um, but uh, the truth is Trayvon Martin, Martin was walking home and he was approached by Zimmerman and he defended himself such as such is the customary right to any living creature who feels under attack doesn't matter who you run upon it could be a bear it could be a bug it could be anything they adopt a posture to defend themselves it's kind of ingrained into the life cycle of any living creature um but this guy Larry Elder in that interview that I saw chose to kind of turn the optics around and try to make Trayvon look like the thug that needed to be approached and handled for walking through the neighborhood. Now, um, this voter fraud thing echoing Trump's sentiments is a very scary thing. Um, Obviously, this guy is a big fan of Donald Trump and he's a favorite with conservatives. Um, this guy's never been a politician before. He's a conservative radio show host who decided to elevate his status and 
I mean, it'd be hard to imagine me running for governor of Arizona. But if I said the right things to the right people and allowed them to feel a little bit better about themselves, as we've seen time and again, that's the fast track to getting some. And my thinking is they can't actually believe this stuff. They they have to like I, I, I don't I don't anymore, but I used to listen to Tucker Carlson, who is perhaps the white face of white supremacy. But I got to thinking, I'm like, he can't actually think that this stuff is true. He's too intelligent. He's doing this on purpose. He's saying this on purpose because he knows that this is what works. He's a showman in the same way that Donald Trump is, except Tucker Carlson is a bit more intelligent. Um, And in that same fashion, it feels like Larry Elder is doing the same thing, except he's black. And that is extremely harmful for black people when trying to appeal to other folks who lack perspective into what the real day-to-day life is like in black skin in this country. Now, you and IQ have had lots of talks about him and another person, Candace Owens. And she actually has a quote on the goings-on in California. I'll get to that in a second. But first, I want to know your thoughts on these types of people. I know you know some. I know that I just I want to get your take on this. My take is far more complex than you might imagine. Okay. Because I feel like there are different reasons that these type of people exist. Right? The there is just flagrant naivete like not knowing any better, having lived such a sheltered life, be you black or white, rich or poor, where you have actually never experienced these things yourself so that you convince yourself they couldn't be possible. It's the same way a person reacts when someone that they know and care about does something heinous, right? Like in their mind, there's no way that this person is capable of that. Or you'll hear someone in their own defense, you know, I couldn't have sexually assaulted anyone. I'm a father, I have daughters as if that disqualifies you in some way. You know, we all have mothers. Every rapist in history has a mother. Did not stop them from doing very vile, disrespectful, distasteful, horrible things to women. But in some people's minds, they want to believe in the goodness of someone or something so much that they convince themselves that 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 person or those people are not capable of anything bad. I think that's the very, very, very small minority of people that take this position. Then you have Stockholm syndrome. You know, people that just as a defense mechanism have to teach and train themselves to feel a way about uh, a person whose thumb they're under in order to survive. It's a, a survival technique that alters your mental state. And then you have the flat sellout. Who knows, I just almost cursed, who knows darn well (laughs) that the things that they're saying are blatantly false on their face, but they understand the platform it will provide for them. Uh, If Civic Cipher were a right-leaning conservative show and, and week after week we shot down the notion that white supremacy exists, we'd be millionaires in very short order. Exactly. It would have already happened. 
right? So that's a very easy path to take, especially for us, right? Not, not everyone that takes that stance becomes famous. We would be super duper famous yeah. really, really fast if we took that position with our same imaging, with our same logo, with our same everything the same, <laughs> with DJ Swirl sitting next to us, with everything the same. But we just took that stance. We'd be on 200 stations by Christmas and, and would be able to fund a very, very lavish lifestyle based on that stance. And some people, without hesitation, take that route for that reason, to uplift themselves. At the and expense of everyone else. For, for, at the expense of everyone else, right? Because when you're prominent and you take that position, it not only allows the people who are the perpetrators to feel guilt-free, but it perpetuates the ideas that they spew that these things that we face on a daily basis don't really exist and that we are playing the victim and that we're creating these shackles that are holding ourselves down. Uh, harmful is an understatement. You know, the, the, the amount of damage that this causes and the amount of ears that it reaches is more than dangerous. You know, it's, it's actually scary, man, because there are young people who aspire to have some position in life and see this some as a route to having some measure of success and clout and notoriety and others who are just now as young people formulating their own positions and views on these things. An elder might be the first person that they hear speak that they think knows what he's talking about and they'll listen to what he's saying. And even if it's just one person, that's way too many people to have turned to the dark side, if you will. So it's it's hard to all the way have a stance on these people because I don't think they all come from the Candace Owen, Jason Whitlock um, school of I'm just going to turn my back on my people because it serves me school of thought. Um, unfortunately, all the ones that we're talking about are from that place that's the only reason that we know who they are yeah well um i want to tell you what she said you know i'm i i i'm sure lots of folks know who candace owens is but for those that don't this gives you an idea of poor baby what she's on so um poor baby <laughs> that's, that's 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 all i can say about her is poor baby wow absolutely um, so yeah, Candace Owens has demanded an investigation into vote rigging. Remember, this is before the votes were counted. Before they were counted. Candace Owens has demanded an investigation into vote rigging in the California gubernatorial recall election, claiming she received emails from voters alleging they had been prevented from casting a ballot. Quote, I received about 20 emails last night from people telling me that they went to vote for Larry Elder only to learn that they had already voted. End quote. Owens tweeted on Monday alongside a video from a news broadcast which reported the confusion was due to a sense resolved equipment issue. Quote, this needs to be investigated. It seems like the fix is in. End quote. The conservative political commentator added. Now, if that doesn't stir the pot, 
if that doesn't fire up the right, if that doesn't further separate us, you know, and of course Donald Trump weighed in on this. You know, oh, it looks just like what happened to me, blah, whatever he, that guy said. He couldn't wait. to Yeah. But, um, you know, as we know, there's no voter fraud. This is California. It's like the most liberal place in the universe. Well, maybe not the universe, but certainly on this side of the country. Close. <laughs> uh, shout out to uh, Northampton, Massachusetts one time. We see you. Um, but, uh, but yeah. So, um, you know, just keep that in mind. If you're hearing somebody and they have some conservative viewpoints, that's okay. But if you hear somebody and they're a little bit too far, do your best not to lean too far into that. Try to get a consensus of how black people feel, not how a black person feels. And I think that you'll do okay. Um, but in the case of these folks, you should really don't, don't let the lights and the, and the glitz and the glamour fool you into thinking that there's something there that isn't. And now... If you're just tuning in to Civic Cypher, I'm your host Ramses. Yeah. Ramses calls me Q. My mother calls me Q Dirty. I don't know what Swirl calls me. Swirl, what do you call me, sir? It depends on the day. <laughs> all right well, we'll just roll with cute in how about that uh and uh we're just tuning in to the show stick around we are going to be discussing our way black history fact with dj swirl we're also going to be looking into the killing of kawasaki Treywick uh in new york city that happened in 2019 we just got the videos out not too long ago so we're going to go back and have a critical examination of that but first, we are going to discuss becoming a better ally, that is B-A-B-A or BABA, to those who have been correctly initiated. This week, we are sharing the stage with our Native American brothers and sisters. Uh, for those that don't know, check out the hashtag LandBack. Um, I love this hashtag. It, it is empowering, it's beautiful, it's a celebration of culture and history, and it feels way overdue. Land Back, in short, is a call for this country to return some of the stolen lands back to indigenous tribes, indigenous peoples. Um, in an attempt to right the wrongs of the past. And one such um, occurrence of this happened recently. Um, so I'll read this. Over the past three years, the Chickahominy tribe in Charles City County received nearly $7 million in state funding to acquire and preserve tribal lands, staving off development, improving water quality in the Chesapeake Bay watershed. The current plan for the $3.5 million provided by the General Assembly this year is to purchase more lands and have that have cultural significance to the tribe. According to Dana Adkins, the Chickahominy tribe's environmental director, um, an area of over 900 acres likely containing the historic remains of the Chickahominy village uh, called Mamana Hunt is currently being considered for acquisition. Other properties along the, Ch Ch the Chickahominy River in Charles City County, where tribal villages were located, are also of interest to the tribe. Um, 
If you want to become a better ally, please look into this hashtag land back. There are things that you can do as an individual to support this initiative. Um, Obviously, this is a black show, but we do share this space in solidarity with our native brothers and sisters, our Asian brothers and sisters, our white brothers and sisters, our Hispanic brothers and sisters, so forth and so on. And today we are honored to be able to share this story um, on behalf of our native brothers and sisters. So once again, take a look into the hashtag land back now. Kawasaki Trawick. It's a name that you may or may not know. Um, we know the name because we were made aware of this shooting um, many months ago. We didn't get a chance to talk about it on the air, though, because whatever week it came in on, we had too many other murders to cover, police shootings or whatever the case was. Um, but now we get to talk about this. Now, as many folks who listen to the show regularly know we don't all watch the videos this story does have a video that was recently released which kind of pushed it to the top of our stories stack um and when there's a video involved uh we take turns with the video we don't want to become accustomed to trauma against black bodies we don't want to become accustomed to black death we don't want that to be the norm, and yet we have a journalistic responsibility here to discuss instances like this where there is a loss of black life at the hands of some governmental agency. Um, most frequently, it is the police. So this time it was my turn. I watched a man lose his life this week. And I'm grateful that my producer, DJ Swirl, and my co-host, Q Ward, didn't have to watch that happen. Um, I want to talk you through this, and then we need to examine it, because I think in this story, we are able to uncover a couple more layers of the callousness that police often have when dealing with black and brown bodies. Um, before I get there, though, I'm going to read a little bit of this story to you. Um, Kawasaki Trawick was shot and killed in his Bronx apartment by a New York Police Department officer on April 14, 2019. Footage released last month, finally. Uh, oh, sorry, the footage was released uh, last month. Um, the NYPD said Trawick had charged at officers with a knife video of the shooting shows the officers had escalated the situation and that one officer then shot Trawick over his more experienced partner's objections um all right so let me tell you about this video in case you haven't seen it um at no point will i ever recommend that you watch a video of a human being doesn't matter what color they are losing their life um it's it's such a sad thing especially when you know how precious life is i'm a father so i saw life come into this world and i realized how difficult it is to create life and after seeing so many videos of people losing their lives on the other side of a gun often it is a is a soul crushing thing to witness 
but here we are. In the video, um, it's it's spliced together. So there's camera footage from the apartment where where uh, uh, Kawasaki lives, and uh, then it cuts to the police body cam video. Um, now, from what I can gather, uh, Kawasaki had more effeminate mannerisms. I cannot say that he was a gay man because I don't know that, but I can say that relative to most men that I know, he seemed to have more effeminate mannerisms. Now, I recognize from knowing many of my homosexual brothers and sisters or non-binary brothers and sisters um, or non-gender conforming brothers and sisters that uh, sometimes life is a little bit harder. That is definitely a strike against you if you're born in this country still. You know, there's been a lot of progress, but certainly a long way to go before homosexuality is as accepted and, and bullying reaches its minimal point and, and so forth and so on. And so I have to believe that if in fact that was the case with this man, Kawasaki, that you know, it, there's some challenges to growing up. I'm not saying that this next part is right, but I am saying that I understand that this is often the case. Um, sometimes people who were born and have more effeminate mannerisms, again, I can't say for certain that this man was gay, but sometimes they're picked on and, you know, everyone finds their way to cope with that. Some folks will turn to drugs to cope with it and some folks there you know who knows what the story is um but in any case there is a mental component that they're trying to address there there's some way they're trying to reconcile the world they live in you know i'm born i deserve love i i, I seek love and then every day of my life I feel pain or I feel rejection or whatever the case is and that's very difficult to navigate I would imagine you know I would never say that I know firsthand but in an attempt to empathize several times over the years I can imagine that that's a very difficult thing to to reconcile now back to this video what we see is um, that Kawasaki locks himself out of his apartment the why couldn't tell you but for some reason he's in the hallway um walking back and forth and then he's knocking on the neighbor's doors saying that the building is on fire and then he calls the fire department and says the building is on fire and there's a recording of that call and then the fire department comes they open the door to his apartment let him back in and under normal circumstances, that would be it. Um, but you can kind of tell from the video that he's kind of doesn't really appear to be moving like how a normal person would move. You know, there seemed to be some confusion in his steps. You know, I, who knows? So he gets back in his house and a few minutes later, the police arrive. Now, my understanding is that this is standard practice police show up along with the firemen or fire department I should say 
and um, do a surface level investigation or provide support to the to the fire department or whatever the case is. Um, so the police come to the house and they knock on the door. Um, and then he doesn't open the door. I guess there's some communication through the door. Um, but he has like a chain lock on the door, so it might be open just a bit. Um, and the police ultimately gain access to the house. Now, Kawasaki is in the kitchen, um, and the, the front door opens into the kitchen. It's a small New York apartment. So um, the front door opens right into the kitchen. He's in the kitchen, and it looked like he might have been in a robe or something like that. And he's holding a bread knife in one hand and um, something else in the other. I couldn't remember what it was, but a towel or a plate or something, you know, whatever. Something like that. Just nothing harmful. But the bread knife, of course, is how the story gets twisted. So... um, the younger officer, who's white, um, is he starts saying, you know, put the knife down, put the knife down, put the knife down. The elder officer, the officer had been on the force much longer, I think it was 17 years, the older officer was black. The, the uh, younger officer was white um, and on the force for three years. So the older officer was black, right? And of course, Kawasaki Trawick is black. Um, the older officer at several points tries to calm down the white officer, like, you know, because, you know, you can look at it and tell that there's something not right with this situation. But I watched the video myself. It did not look like an attack was imminent unless you looked at the police. The police uh, immediately adopted that position that, oh, this guy is going to attack us. Um, But Kawasaki in the kitchen was upset because they opened his door um, and he was saying the fire department has already been here what are you doing here why are you here the fire department came and they left I'm back in my house what are you doing here why are you opening my door um, meanwhile the uh, the younger officer put put the knife down sir put the knife down and Kawasaki says I have a knife because I'm cooking in my kitchen I live here. You don't live here. This is my house. And, you know, they have an exchange back and forth. Um, And then uh, the younger officer shoots him with a taser. And so he, the video shows that him, him go down because of the taser and he's screaming, of course. And, um, yeah, just like you imagine it. Um, then the taser stops, um, and then he stands back up and the whole time the, the older officer, the black officer is trying to reel in the younger officer saying like, we don't want to do this. Like, Hey, let that, we don't, we don't need to do this. Hey, let's, you know, I'm trying to, you know, exert some control over the situation. But immediately this younger officer went into paranoid mode. He immediately became afraid. There was no bravery shown in this video by New York's bravest or whatever they are supposed to be. Um, it, it immediately went to fear, um, which I, 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 I don't want you to watch it, but you would have to watch it to really understand what I'm trying to articulate here. But I'll move on. Um, so Kawasaki gets up. 
And now he's very much upset. He's like trying to back away from the door. He's, he's, you know, he's very upset. He's like, why would you do that? Why are you doing this to me? Why are, you know, very confused. And you can see it. Now, if he's having a mental episode and he's seeing fire that's not there and he's knocking on doors and, you know, that sort of a thing. Um, these are not the right people that are going to help the situation. They're not protecting anything. They're not serving anyone. They are murdering someone who needs help, regardless of who they are, regardless of what they've been through. There, there should be dignity assigned to life, right? And in my estimation, I never saw anything that looked like an attack. And if there was an attack, if you could make a case for an attack, all you have to do is move away from the door because he can only get at you through the doorway. If you move away from the door, then you have a few more feet to continue your negotiation. And at the last second, then you can discharge a weapon away. You know, show me some bravery. Show me some leniency. Show me some respect for human life. That's not present in this video. He stood up. He was incredibly upset that these people came into his house and started hurting him when he was cooking dinner. And he got back closer to the officers, but there was never a charge. And closer to the officers is, we'll call it, six, seven feet away from the officers. You know, this isn't like he's right, you know, within striking distance with a knife. This isn't that type of proximity. He's just you know, moving, he's animated and he's upset and he's trying to make his point as you do when you're standing and there's two people standing around, you're moving around your kitchen like, yo, why are you doing this? You know, blah, blah, blah. Your arms tend to wave, this sort of thing. Um, by now, the younger officer has his gun out and shoots, I believe, five times into the house. Two of the shots hit Kawasaki and that was the end of his life. All right, so couple things um i got this from ProPublica. i want to make sure that i give them credit because they wrote a couple of articles that helped me to um, script this part of the show um they noted that the officers failed to use the techniques from the nypd's crisis intervention training program to de-escalate the confrontation with with Trawick. um you know, that's just something I wanted to get out there for people who say the officers need better training. They've been getting better training and better training and better training for many years. And they go out and they kill people. So that's not working. Let's try something else. Let's reexamine this idea of defunding the police and have an open mind about it. Another note, uh, the more experienced officer, as I mentioned, Herbert Davis, who is black, repeatedly told his partner, Brendan Thompson, who is white, not to use force against Trawick. Uh, Thompson, nonetheless, opened fire on Trawick, first with a taser, then with a gun, killing Trawick. Uh, other officers converged on the building in the Bronx after the officer who fired at Trawick reported, quote, shots fired, end quote. Many of the arriving officers activated body-worn cameras, which captured what they said. And this is the part that really stood out. This is actually what sucked us back in the direction. So in the video, one of the uh, officers, oh, sorry, one, a sergeant asks who's injured um, as she arrives in front of the door. And two officers respond in near unison, quote, nobody, just a perp, end quote. 
Now, I want to quote uh, Trawick's mother. Her name is Ellen Trawick. Um, and she told this to the ProPublica publication that um, I got a lot of this, these notes from. Uh, she says, the footage, quote, upsets me on so many levels. I don't see why they would refer to my son as a, quote, perp. He had not committed a crime. He was not committing a crime. And he was in his own home, end quote. So, not only did they enter this man's home, not only did they tase him in his home after he reported Everything's fine. I'm cooking dinner. Fire department already came. Then they murdered him. They shot him twice in his house where he died, laid on the floor. And then as more police converged onto the scene, who's injured? Nobody. We're all fine. Nobody. Just a perp. Who's injured? Like, is anyone injured? (laughs) Nobody. Just a perp. And... I guarantee, I guarantee if the officer had shot a dog. <laughs> there, you know, there's just a different reaction. Like you're, you're listening to my voice. You're listening to the show. Imagine hearing this story, but in, except for a black man, the officer burst into a house and shot a dog. How upsetting that would be to all the people that you know. But because it's just a black man, you have to hear about this story from Civic Cipher. That's why this show exists, because it's not on CNN. It's not on Fox News, of course. It's not big enough to make it there. And yet, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where our interactions with the people who are supposed to protect and serve us causes us more fear than just dealing with a problem ourselves. I've never called the police in my life, and I never would. Why would I do that? They're going to show, oh, I take that back. I did call the police one time. I remember this, and I told them, I went to a, a convenience store and I told them, hey, this is what happened. This, I'm the good guy. This is what I'm wearing. This is the car I'm driving. And this is the, the interaction that you have to have with police. And I didn't need them for anything just to document something that had happened. But I needed them to know that, hey, you're safe. Look for the person wearing this. That's the good guy. And we're good. Um, and I recognize that other people grow up thinking that police are heroes. And to be fair... We've talked about on this show instances where police officers have been heroes. It is definitely possible for people to go above and beyond in that job. I make sure that I say that it is a job and do something heroic. And when the credit is due, we we certainly will give credit. But we have to be honest when examining the institution of policing in this country. We have to be very honest about it. It is, since its inception, been exceptionally unfair to black people, to brown people, to Asian people, pretty much to anyone who's not a white male landowner in this country. And I think that this story certainly echoes that. Now, I got, I had to get that out. I'm so sorry. I just talked and talked and talked. But I got like a minute and I do want to hear your thoughts on it because I know you didn't get to see it. But how does that hit you, Q? So I make sure that we're hyper objective here. Mm -hmm. 
we said, and then by we, I mean, when you're speaking, you're speaking for both of us, said that he committed no crime, and that's not true. Calling the fire department and saying there's a fire when there's not is a crime. Okay, fair point. The problem is the punishment for calling a false fire is not murder in <laughs> yeah. your kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's, my, that's the only thing I have to say. This isn't a new story, so I can't give you a new point of view. This is story 937 this year with the exact same circumstances and the exact same outcome, right? So, and there's no outrage because the perp was black, not because he was a criminal, because I've seen white perps wielding assault rifles while murdering people be apprehended safely and taken for food. Yeah. So perp was not the word they wanted to use, but the body cams are on and these things are recording and someone might hear me say this. So no, no one's hurt. Just this black dude that we shot because we felt like it. We weren't scared. And then you said that too for us and I don't subscribe to it. It wasn't fear, right? You're afraid when someone's pointing an AK-47 at you. When you see the black man and that being his crime, crime number one, his skin, Right. And if you're a conservative, right leaning, heterosexual, Christian, white police officer, him being a bit of feminine might also be a crime to you. So I've decided today that that bread knife is all I needed to see to justify to myself murdering this guy. And I know that my fraternity of officers. Because you said they said this in unison will feel like it's OK, I just killed a perp like what's the problem why is everybody so upset no we're fine we just knocked on his door and murdered him we're fine we're cool i don't know what the big deal is y'all want to go get some donuts boom such is life um and also release the video sooner so we don't have to wait this long next time anyway Won't gotta move it on thing we'll be outraged sooner <laughs> Um, well, now it's time to get into the way black history fact as we do. Uh, DJ Swirl, what you got for us? This week, the way black history fact <clears throat> highlights the accomplishments of Dr. Macy Jemison, who this week in 1992 became the first African-American woman in space. Born October 17, 1956, Macy Jemison is the youngest of three children, whose mother was an elementary school teacher and father a maintenance supervisor. From a young age, she knew that she wanted to study science and grew up watching the Apollo airings on TV, but was often upset that there were no female astronauts. Jemison was inspired by African-American actress Nichelle Nichols, who played Lieutenant Uhara on the Star Trek television show. From that point on, she was determined to one day travel in space. Fluent in Russian, Japanese, and Swahili, Jemison joined the Peace Corps in 1983 and served as a medical officer for two years in Africa. Once Sally Ride became the first American woman in space in 83, she decided to apply to the astronaut program at NASA. She applied in 1985, but the shuttle Challenger exploded in 1986 and NASA took a break from accepting new people. She applied again in 1987 and was one of 15 people chosen out of 2,000 applications. She received her first mission on September 28th of 89 as a mission specialist, and on September 12th of 92, she and six other astronauts went into space on the Space Shuttle Endeavor. 
After hearing that she was a fan of the show, Star Trek actor LeVar Burton asked Jemison to appear in an episode. She agreed and became the first real astronaut to be on an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. She played Lieutenant Palmer in the episode Second Chances. In addition to her many awards, Jemison has been inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame and the International Space Hall of Fame. This all comes courtesy of womenshistory.org. Um, can I can I go first on this one, please? It's going to be real short. That was dope. Man, you beat me to it because I was going to go, ooh-wee. That's it. <laughs> oh, man, that was ooh, incredible. Wee. The fact that I'm smiling right now after what happened before that lets you know how incredible that was. We got to brighten it up. We got to. Hey, man, that's all right. That's all right. We need that. I appreciate that, man. Sheesh. Banger. So, Wow. That that brought me back to life, man. Yeah, she's she's the truth. And 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 you know what? I I normally don't do this cuz I know we have to have some forward momentum in the show. But do you see how it took a long time for her to get to where she could actually accomplish that, to where she's on that level where we're talking about her so many years later? You know, sometimes it takes a little bit of time. And who knows what she went through in her life to get there? And there's some people who don't even get the opportunity and their life is snuffed out. And yeah, it's just crazy. But, you know, both with plenty of melanin. Um, I do want to say this, though. You know, I don't really get to share a lot of personal stuff on the show because we have to talk about, you know, the goings on in the world. But I am... I'm becoming a proud Trekkie, but I've always been a Trekkie since the eighties. Right. <laughs> it's hard to get proud about it because you know, it's, you know, like it's kind of nerdy yeah. and uh, you know, I'm kind of nerdy. What are you going to do? Um, so Lieutenant Uhura or sorry, Lieutenant Uhara, um, uh, Nichelle Nichols, uh, the actress, this is something I knew about. Um, I knew about the story about her and Whoopi Goldberg and Whoopi Goldberg coming on to the next generation playing Guinan um, and being inspired by Nichelle Nichols. Um, I knew about, uh, I've heard about Macy Gimison, um, but never to this degree. That was amazing. What a life. What an accomplishment. That's, that's, that's incredibly special. And... You know, I, I think that stories like that really give a lot in the way of perspective. You know, um, for folks who don't live, perhaps they, they pe people have a lot of kindness in their heart. They want the world to be as good a place as it can be. But perhaps they don't interact with or live around a lot of black people. So all they get are stories and you know, hearsay and then limited interactions here and there. Um, and then, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the stories that really make it make their way to the public are either sports stories or stories about, you know, like a world that people really don't live in or they're more negative stories about death or violence or, you know, you know, whatever. And I think there's a disconnect when people ignore the fact that a lot of times crime and criminal behavior runs along the money line. 
you know, and if there's less money, then there's a lot more in the way of um, criminal, I guess, by definition, behavior. You know, people just trying to put two and two together. You know, there's lots of people. I'm sure that everybody listening to this, if you've ever had any money problems in your life, the first thing that your imagination goes to, if, you're, if your imagination is somewhat based in reality, is the first criminal thing that you can do to make ends meet. Now imagine being twice as desperate and living in an environment with a great deal of hopelessness while still having access to that imaginary scenario, you know, and potentially having it come true and you'd be able to bridge a gap. And so you end up with a lot of those criminal behaviors, um, not just for black people, but everywhere there's less money. And so this is why there's always been a push to create more equitable um, uh, employment opportunities um, to minimize on things like that. But anyway, uh, the point is, is that I think this shows that skin color is an imaginary thing that exists in society that separates us. Now, we know that it, it does, but the fact that it's so pronounced in the world is not based in anything scientific. It's just something that we hold against each other. But in terms of our capacity to reach, you know, astronaut levels of, you know, whatever, then, yeah, it's not holding us back at all. You know, um, everybody is just as capable, female, black, et cetera. With that said, it's about time for us to wrap it up. So <laughs> any last thoughts? As a means for division, it's imaginary. Skin color is That's very real. We all see it. That's what I meant. Right. As a means of division, it's ignorant and imaginary. Um, and it just sucks that you have to be that astronomical, pardon the pun. You have to speak four languages and join the Peace Corps and do all those things that someone that didn't look like her or that wasn't a her wouldn't have had to do to accomplish what she accomplished. Very good. With that said, uh, thanks again for tuning in to Civic Cypher. I'm your host, Ramsey's Ja. My Theo Geo calls me Q word Indeed. show produced by dj swirl uh and that's gonna do it for us so until next week y'all peace Stepping the borders with press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash.